Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I am very happy to be on location in Cincinnati, Ohio today at The Hive, which we are going to talk a little bit more about today with my guest, Troy Bronsink. Troy is the founder and director of The Hive, a center for contemplation, art, and action, a nonprofit social enterprise in Cincinnati curating contemplative small groups and mindfulness in the workplace. Troy is also a singer, a songwriter, and a speaker who has spent the last 15 years speaking, leading music, and leading retreats for creatives, social activists, and faith groups. He is also the author of the book Drawn In, a creative process for artists, activists, and Jesus followers. Troy, welcome to the Voices in My Head podcast. Thanks, Rick. Great to be with you. Man, I am so excited to be here today, and I always like to be on location because it's so fun to kind of sit face-to-face and be able to discuss. I would love for you to just tell listeners a little bit about who you are, and I'm going to kind of learn as we go more about you. I know that we have a connection because uh, you were a student at Columbia University, and you were a student of Walter Brueggemann, who's been a guest of the show and, and a good friend over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a classmate with David Dalt, who I've been a guest on his show, uh, and you have also also been a guest on his show things not seen and and is just a super guy but other than that and just what i've read about the hive and about you i don't know a ton so tell us a little bit about your background where you hail from and and kind of what brought you to this place wow um as quickly as you can cliff notes the quick version yeah so um i grew up um, I grew up a boy in rural Michigan. All right. <laughs> um, my parents uh, both came from the Dutch Reformed tradition. And, uh, and then we moved to the South when I was um, in fir- uh, to start first grade. And um, spent then my whole life there in Charlotte, North Carolina, as a, uh, or my childhood, um, in a evangelical kind of a proto-megachurch. Okay. Um, great experience. Uh, folks that loved me. Um, and from that, I went on to a Southern Baptist college, which uh, at the time was kind of what everybody in my church was doing. It was okay. kind of, I was still really inside the same bubble, I would say. From there, got involved with a parachurch ministry, youth ministry, uh, which eventually I found my, my wife and I found one another through that and okay. ended up moving out west. And that's where the adventure Began nice. um, and or, or kind of where the turn took place, and there I began to. Uh, this was uh, in the mid '90s, mid late '90s, and okay. at that time there were these postmodern church uh, kind of uh, pop ups sure. things happening in Seattle and in uh, London and uh, New York and Minneapolis, and um, and so I began to kind of study that. Was curious about it, which led me to check out seminaries. Okay. And we ended up back in Atlanta, where I went to, it's not Columbia University, but Columbia Theological Center. Theological Center, yeah. sorry. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and there, um, pretty quickly got involved both in the missional church conversation with Daryl Guter, 
and and, um, and I had not even heard of Walter Brueggemann, and then uh, ended up in seminary there, okay. and was uh, was blown away that summer. Got to know him in Greek school or while Greek school was going on, and started in that fall uh, taking some electives with him. And by the end of seminary, had done quite a bit of work both in his area of uh, uh, biblical th- uh, theology and postmodern hermeneutics, as well as Walter. Guter's work, I mean, uh, Daryl Guter's work with Missional Church, and that gets into David Bosch and uh, uh-huh. Leslie Newbegin. And during that time, I met folks from Emergent Village. Okay. And so began to work with um, Doug Padgett, Brian McLaren, um, Holly Rankin-Zayer, wow. um, a number of folks who were kind of part of those early um, discussions that would yeah. become kind of part of what some big shifts would take place in at least evangelicalism. Sure. Wow. Well, so that's you've you had had the opportunity to study and work with a lot of really influential people and and people that have been. Um, I mean, they're not just uh, well known names. I mean, they're very bright people. I mean, just mm-hmm. it's, yeah, that's impressive. To, well, to it's more that they they also kind of reshaped my imagination of what it means to participate with God in the world. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd say the other shift then that to bring it up to how we ended up at the Hive here is uh, is then during seminary we also my wife and I and then eventually we had kids uh, we lived in um, inner city Atlanta in East Lake villages and then after seminary um, worked in Southwest Atlanta okay and there worked at, in community organizing community development oh. and began to find this intersection between creatives and activists great and their uh, engagement both with one another and with cultural systems and with just direct neighborhoods. Also, where real burnout takes place because a lot of activists and artists end up on the margins, um, necessarily because of the type of work they do and the advocacy they do. But that burnout leads to uh, kind of a jadedness, and then some of those folks just start circulating back into a normative empire system and, yeah. and uh, just kind of roll their eyes and go, that was a stage in life. And, yeah. uh, um, and so that's really what inspired what we do here at The Hive was this sense of how to... How do folks maintain a creative engagement with social structures? How does their faith engage with that? How do we do it in a way that's sustainable? Yeah. Um, which really then starts to call upon our contemplative tradition. Yeah. And, you know, being someone who's an artist myself, I mean, you do often have conversations with other people and it's like when are you going to get into the real world you know type thing right. and I'm like no I feel like we're escaping to the real world you know in, in, in so many ways and, and that might bring you, us to a question that I wanted to ask you and it's sort of a broad question so we may have to um, narrow it down a little bit um, but what are the some of the ways that you see the church functioning like art because yeah, yeah. when we talk about artists and we're here in sort of an, a place that's a, a haven for artists to come and be a part, I'd love to just hear some of your thoughts on that, about the church and how it can function like art. Um, well, that's great. So you had mentioned uh, David Dahl, a good friend. When he and I were in seminary together, um, I was talking quite a bit about church as art. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I think that's grown now to be more of even something wider, like life as art. But to understand the church's vocation, which is my background, even though here's kind of an inner spiritual place, um, I think it's helpful to understand our subject-object relationship to new creation. Mm. Um, And in that sense, we're both commissioned artists. Uh, There's an understanding in our lineage that 
the creator who um, billions of years ago is part of this process unfolding is also a commissioner mm -hmm. that's commissioning us as artists to also be part of the mm -hmm. unfolding. And so we have to take these leaps, these risks. We have to listen to what happens in those risks, just like uh, jumping on stage with a song you haven't tried out yet. <laughs> um, yes. And, um, and then uh, in that listening, you're, uh, you're creating a, a field, uh, a collaborative field with the, with the listener or with the art, arts viewer. Mm -hmm. I think that postmodern turn in the arts around participation is an example of that. So mm -hmm. I would say um, when you think of church as art, we're at once being uh, in kind of an apathetic sense. We're open to the shaping of a uh, imminent God. Like we're, we, this conversation is how God shows up in the world. Like yeah. God's address is you mm. and me. It's not like God is on another plane somewhere right. and uh, it interrupts here every once in a while. <laughs> this is where, this is the air that God breathes, I think, yeah. Meister Eckhart would say. Um, so we're in this space. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is something different, though, about the um, emerging vision and the presence of God that's, that I'm a student of mm. and not simply um, the the total presence of. Sure. So we're, we're kind of students of the way of Jesus, would yeah. be the way it might be described. But I think um, even like the, the Sufis would talk about the Christ mystery that we're like participants of. And you can look at me and go like, that's how the Christ mystery shows up on a Monday morning in yeah. snowy Cincinnati, right? <laughs> um, and yet I can look beyond and go like, there's other ways that mystery is showing up. Yeah. And how can I learn that and be a student of that? Mm, I love that. Well, let's talk. And I, I, yeah, yeah, there's one more thing I'd say there too. Over, over in the Gospels now, I'm, I'm struck by how. You know, I grew up in a tradition, a, a more fundamentalist tradition that had a, put a lot of weight in apologetics, sure, where you would rationally defend some statement. Um, and Jesus was so much more embodied, which I think is where the art comes into play. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even when John's disciples came and said, like, are you this, uh, you know, this totalizing concept we have of Yeshua, Messiah, Christ, mm -hmm. the, the chosen, and he, he wouldn't create a construct. He would say, well, look around, what do you see? Like, yeah. there's, there's people stepping into whole relationships. There's people recovering their, yeah. all of their senses. There's a, the, the, uh, there's good news being proclaimed to the poor. Like, yeah. It's up to you to say, but I. But just look around. Yeah. What you see, and I think if the church were free to simply answer that um, uh, about whether or not we exist or whether or not we're effective, mm -hmm. um, to just say, what do you see? Yeah. Um, well, and I think that's something that you know drives us crazy oftentimes in the church when we're trying to be artful. And I do. I do think Jesus was very artful. I mean, parables themselves are these. Um, to some people, they're incredibly frustrating because they don't have this like like one plus one equals two answer. They're they're sort of like this these metaphors that are brought about to make us very uncomfortable. An example that comes to mind, which I think of as like a very artful story, um, the parable of the lost sheep. You know, and mm -hmm. and I think about. Jesus and like it doesn't make any sense that he leaves 99 sheep out in the field to be destroyed or whatever to go find this one you know that's so precious mm -hmm. and 
I had a, uh, a professor when I was in college uh, that was talking about that, and he said it's as if you're in an, an inner city place with a lot of high crime, and you've got a hundred cars, and one of them gets stolen off the lot, and you leave all the other cars in the lot with the keys in the ignition and the doors unlocked to go look for this one car, you know? Yeah. And we hear that in our modern ears and go, what in the world was Jesus trying to say? And I, I think even in like stories like that that Jesus tells, there's not like this particular answer that we always come to and go, oh, well, that's the conclusion. But Jesus, as you're talking about, he's forcing us to start looking at what's there and start looking at the world around us and start making us ask these questions. And um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the church when we do it right is we're not only just a place Maybe we're not even a place that provides answers so much as we're a place that comes where God helps us to open up ourselves to ask the right questions and begin to start seeing the world in that way. So um, with that in mind and, and with this place that we're at today and in, in this artist community, and, and since you are here at the Hive, a center for art and contemplation and action, just tell our listeners a bit more about the hive. We're we're here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Several of our listeners are from the surrounding area, oh, cool. and there may be some people that would really like to, you know, benefit from maybe coming here sometime, taking part in something that the hive is offering. And and so let's just kind of you know give us the uh, give us the plug, so to speak. Tell sure, us tell sure. us what this place is all about. What's well, interesting? I, I'm still. Uh rattling in my head with the story of the 99 and the 1. Mm. Um, and I think uh, among the many things that are that's playful in that, and I love the image of the keys with the ignition and the doors open, Yeah, um, I think there's an abundance um, in the Jesus story <clears throat> that uh, that God is never far away. Yeah. And so, uh, so for all of those cars, anybody could have driven it away. Yeah. And there wouldn't have been like an absence of God. Yeah. Um, oh, that's it's just awesome. simply that like um, there's those that see themselves as inside the parking lot. Yeah. I'm using air quotes, right? Um, and, uh, and then those that see themselves as fleeing or lost. And mm-hmm. the good news is that you're not lost. Yeah. Um, so the hive, I think, is a place kind of banked on that good news. That awesome. whoever you are, um, wholeness um, begins within you. It's already, you're already created mm-hmm. with that wholeness. Now, um, it's pretty explicit here. For folks that want to know that I come from a Christian tradition, that I'm a Presbyterian minister, but we have folks from we have Buddhist teachers and, uh, and yoga teachers that uh, would, uh, um, based on Taoism or, mm-hmm. or uh, um, Hinduism, that we have uh, mindfulness teachers that come from kind of the John Kabat-Zinn mindfulness-based stress reduction, just purely neuroscience kind of approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bunch of different traditions, Catholic, Protestant. But the, the main thing we do at the Hive is equip people to take up a daily practice. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your daily contemplative practice? And then in small groups to begin to see how that practice is integrating in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. So take up a daily practice and then have a community of practice to talk with about that. Mm-hmm. And the unique thing about those two, uh, that's kind of our secret sauce, about those two things is that um, you can come to that from a number of traditions. So you can be a person of Christian faith like myself and come and be in a group with folks with other faith and still watch their faith come alive, watch their life um, blossom. Uh, you can be, uh, um, uh, you can, there's space for doubt and space for courage to just go like, from my perspective or from my tradition, I've seen it this way, but 
I'm also really curious because I'm discovering this. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say our classes are necessarily like an interfaith dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, they really might focus on particular things, like this this next week of a number of classes starting um, for our six uh, for a six week series, um, and they would include um, a new relationship to your finances. So mm-hmm. um, instead of kind of the Dave Ramsey scarcity uh, ego driven kind of model of motivate sure. yourself so that one day you can be super. Um, it's uh, it's much more of like what is it like to participate in your life with intention and recognize these resources and steward them yeah. and care for your neighbor but at the same time you're doing some of the same models uh, just counting where your money goes being sure. aware of it like yeah. building a new relationship with finance and then there would be a couple uh, yoga classes I'm teaching a class on starting meditating a lot of folks just say it's hard to know where to start yeah. and I'm like okay well for eight weeks We'll start together, and uh, and there'll be daily exercises, and there's a way you can kind of build in on this. Um, we've got a class on um, uh, two different arts class. One's an artist's way class that has morning pages, morning journaling, that then leads into kind of creative agency. Another one that's an, uh, actually making an art piece, an art journal, mm-hmm. each week that, uh, that becomes kind of a reflective process. Um, so a whole bunch of different things. We have a class on trauma. Folks who are social workers and teachers, or parents that are uh, um, friends that are in relationship with people in trauma, mm-hmm. and learning how to uh, how to metabolize that trauma, how to be aware of it, um, and, uh, and to move into it. So all of those kind of things happen at the hive, and the invitation is to come take a, a series of classes together so that you can deepen in your community with the, the small group that you're with. Yeah. as well as uh, um, kind of integrating that in what does your daily practice look like. Wow, that, that sounds amazing. I mean, and I, and I love that you're open and welcoming to people of all backgrounds, too. I think a lot of times in the church, um, because we aren't as artful as we should be, we can be a little narrow in, in our welcome, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's like, uh, God is love as long as you're just like us. And, you know, <laughs> come, come on in. And uh, so I love that that aspect of, of the hive is there and is open for that. And you mentioned Dave, Dave Ramsey, and I, I recorded uh, an album down the road from what I call his castle uh, <laughs> in Nashville <laughs> recently. And uh, I thought, wow, that's... Uh, anyway, that's beside that's the point. But yeah, I love, I love that even the idea that you're helping people... Um, think artfully and creatively about finances and oh the trauma there there must be I would think that that would be one that a lot of people would want to be a part of I feel like there's a lot of people that are experiencing trauma have experienced trauma and don't know where to take it and and I think so I think you know we talked about this uh I can remember in classes with Walter um, talking about this postmodern turn, or like we'd read about the end of history, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm trying to remember who that was, but a biblical scholar that's just like, we don't study history the same way now that there's so many different oh. um, hegemonic influences mm-hmm. on the way we read history. So yeah. I think it's Purdue was the writer. Um, but I think that there's something shifting that's not just that knowledge is shifting, but like the locus of how we understand experience. And so we are seeing like we're seeing in our Facebook live video feed um, a a, um, a person of color being shot by an officer mm. and their partner in the car saying why yeah and there's multiple levels of trauma here yeah there's the 
there's that person's experience and his partner's experience. There's the black experience mm -hmm. in, in the United States. There's the experience of um, um, police officers and uh, um, th that are that are trying to do their job in sure. the midst of this. And there's the experience of advocates for this. And then there's the experience of people who are completely confused. Yeah. The the depth of trauma, the, the scale of it, even though it's sometimes it's certainly pretty shallow, but it's still this scale of trauma that everybody's got this in their hand. Yeah. And they're watching this. And this is now happening over and over. And you can see um, in Syria and Aleppo, you can yeah. see all of this is right here. So how are we moving through that. And I, I've got a sense that we're in a moment, um, one of those moments in our history where um, the consciousness of our woundedness and our need for um, community and one another and, um, and, and really for a reframing, it's, it's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. um, so it used to be we would read, you know, what was it, Peter Berger or... Uh, Hans Kuhn or others that would talk about paradigm shifts, mm -hmm. yeah, right? And uh, and now it's like you, you don't need to convince anybody there's a paradigm shift. It's it's happening right now, and you, yeah. we can all sense it. And there's a woundedness right at the yeah at the front of our hearts, right on the on our sleeves. Yeah, and you know it, it's interesting. One of the speaking of that that woundedness, and I think even that woundedness brings about a fear in a lot of people, mm -hmm. and. and um, or exposes a fear that was already there. Right, right. And it wasn't too long ago, and I don't know if you were able to take part in this or not, but I was down here at Xavier uh, just a couple months ago. I want to say it was like the week after our presidential election happened, and mm -hmm. James Cohn yeah. uh, was doing a seminar on his incredible book, um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Yeah. And um, that was just about the perfect place to be after an election like we had, you know, mm -hmm. in that place mm -hmm. where... You could sense um, a, a people. I want to say the room was probably about seventy-five percent black, and, and the rest of us were white, wondering what we were doing there. A little bit in the midst of this conversation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, the the perspective that was so needed in that room, and and with people, and 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 having conversation that night in the car on the way back, because we, we we weren't all white in the car driving down, so we got to have this really good dialogue and. Um, and I go to a church and have been serving at a church for about the last 15 years, which is pretty much all white, except for a few people who've been adopted, you okay, know, sure, and yeah. so it's a, it's a church that's probably predominantly Republican and most of them don't have a clue why our black brothers and sisters are terrified mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. result of an election like this and with, right. with Trump and people that he's bringing about and the kind of dialogue that was brought about that night in that room and, and when we start being raising these questions and again I might say in a very artful way the way James does oh, this yeah. to ask questions why has the cross never been associated with the lynching tree in this country with such an obvious you know parallel between those two and, and it forced us to start asking and thinking in, in deeper ways about like this idea of suffering why have we ignored this range of suffering for so long we're quick to point to like the holocaust and we're quick to point to other places yeah. but but when it gets to something we've caused you know and and i think that um if anything else uh, I'm, I'm going all around robin Hood's arm to get here but one thing i kept hearing as the election ended was think of all the great art we're going to start seeing <laughs> from people who are feeling 
this depth of need, this depth of frustration, this fear, and, and things that are going on. I, I wonder if, like, in, in the last few months since this has happened, has there been a renewed interest from artists to take part in some of the things like that that the Hive is, is offering, have you mm-hmm. noticed? Or has the conversation even changed a little bit in, in those times? Um, yes and yes. I mean, I, I think um, there's a number of ways that... Uh, that artists have spoken out just in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of ways that uh, um, there's been an interest from um, artists to engage. I, th- I think maybe in some ways uh, it has, in some ways the elections created, um, it, it reified the separation between the uh, culturally compassionate and the culturally conserving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, I mean, a lot, I gave you my background, so a lot of my family and friends um, would be Republican. And so I, I'm not saying they're not compassionate, but they don't see compassion as a responsibility of the culture mm-hmm. um, or politics as a cultural experiment mm-hmm. um, or democracy as a cultural right. experiment, that we have a responsibility that it be shaped compassionately. Um, so, uh, so Walter's work with Peter Block and John McKnight around uh, um, compassionate economics and abundant community, mm-hmm. the, the notion, uh, there's been a, we, we've featured some work around that over the last year, um, but there, that's even motivated even this finance class of like, yeah. how do we help folks think differently about their participation in an economic system and mm-hmm. what are alternatives to that? But I'd say the biggest shift is, uh, has been, um, an awareness um, of the need for a practice that touches on our grief mm-hmm. and the increased urgency of having a place like this to give people access to their grief and their um, and their uh, connection to their neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, so the first that that kind of need for sustenance um, that week. Maybe maybe like a lot of folks, I hadn't really anticipated that those election results. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't really planned a week to be any different than another week. I yeah. kind of assumed it, assumed it would kind of just continue. Sure. And so I had a number of appointments that that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday after the election, and mm-hmm. so many of them were just places where um, we could hold space for that mm-hmm. um, sadness and that fear. And depending on who those folks were, some of the, some folks like myself, straight white guy with a beard and glasses and a Patagonia jacket, like yeah. we're kind of like, um, uh, saying even I'm confused, yeah, um, and I don't know how to speak into this other than that I need to continue to stand here. Yeah. Our family decided to march that Saturday and mm-hmm. the. Uh, um, Black Lives Matter march because that's that came out the same time the Ray Tenzing trial was a hung jury, and so uh, so there was that. But then also there was just this sense of uh, from our staff and participants that like a place like this is really important right now, yeah. Um, especially if we can avoid it being a uh, a lightning rod that just reinforces the ego because our egos yeah. have kicked up. Sure, plenty of myself and liberal friends have kicked up these egos that kind of throw at, throw our whole bodies against the system yeah. thinking that just diving headfirst against it is going to be a um, 
adequate response, but it just that just further agitates. Yeah. Um, and so I think there, right now, one of the questions the Hive is asking is, what would happen if, um, regardless of politics, um, the gateway into transformation was learning to sit in silence and learning to understand your egoic programming in a way that you then become conscious conscious of your fear and your uh, and your ego. Yeah. Um, enough to hold open, compassionate space for yourself and others. Yeah. If we could do that, um, we don't need to mount a political campaign out of our offices here, but it just changes the locus of uh, like the, the catalyst for living as a citizen and a neighbor and a mm-hmm. father and mother and daughter and yeah. son and those things. Um, and I think that's really urgent right now. Yeah. Um, well, and, and you know when you when you speak of ego, it's it's very interesting because to develop the Christ-like ego, <laughs> mm. um, when I think about um, who He is, as, as we read in Scripture and, and see who Christ is, um, it seems He got in trouble because He would eat with sinners, mm-hmm. and then He would get in trouble because He would eat with the upper class or mm-hmm. he would eat with or he would spend time with the centurion the, the romans he mm-hmm. would spend time with all these people and he just seemed like he got hate from every direction <laughs> <You know? laughs> the liberals hated him the conservatives hated him you know it's 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 very interesting um but i would have to think about you know if, if we talk about the god man jesus and and him identifying with you know for whom humans you have that ego in there um the places of prayer, you know, that, that Jesus must have found him play, himself in. We know that he was a person of prayer that took so much time yeah. alone. He stepped away. By he himself. He stepped away. Yep. And had to be um, so... Uh, he had to be so sure of who he was uh, to some extent, you know, in the Father, you know, mm-hmm. in, in order to live that way. I love the idea of the 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 daily practice side of things. I've recently been doing I, I began a series on this podcast um it's based off the idea of getting a little more connected with the jewish prayer practices the, mm. the three times a day and oh, then how nice. that has actually um gone into practices throughout christian faith that we actually set aside moments in our day to actually pray and, and you know our, our muslim brothers and sisters are very good at that they're sure. very yeah. you know um they, they they just stop and do it when they need to and the, the irony is that Christians, we aren't so good about developing those practices. But I think it's in those practices that I think Jesus in many ways found that power to be who he was no matter where he was and, and with those people uh, in those times. And so um, I, I guess it's just more of a, an observation and a thought based on what you're talking about. This idea of helping us to learn to sit and, and be daily in those practice areas. And I, I want to touch, I know we're getting close on time, but I, I, I have to ask you the question because you're coming from a Presbyterian ministry background. If I'm not mistaken, um, the Hive was sort of started out as a ministry. Um, they, they, did, did you receive some funding from the Presbyterian Church to, to help begin this ministry? And if that's the case, I'm wondering what their reaction is now. I assume maybe maybe you have to go before them maybe annually or something and discuss. How are they, um, when you talk to them about 
you know, I'm a Christian, but that doesn't mean everybody that's here has to be a Christian, you know, to come in. And we're not necessarily out to make disciples of them. We're trying to help them be more authentically who they are in the tradition they're in. Or yeah. and maybe I said that incorrectly. Yeah, there's a whole lot there. Yeah. 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 Uh, let me let me redefine a couple of those terms. So, okay, sure. So no, we weren't planted by the Presbyterian Church. Um, okay. we're a nonprofit. Um, okay. we have a umbrella organization that's a ten year old nonprofit called Common Change, that's our fiscal agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but as a nonprofit we applied for grants from a number of okay. different communities and one is the PCUSA, which is a, the denomination that I'm ordained in, okay. they have an initiative called A Thousand and One New Worshiping Communities. Okay. Um, and basically what that, what that is, it's basically just that. It's that they're going, what communities are new? How are they, in fact, a community? What's their interactive communal life? And how do they worship? Mm. Um, and so we described how that would take place at the Hive, which... Uh, is very different than a uh, church plant because mm-hmm. worship here looks like breaking bread together. It looks like reading a number of texts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's some things that would be familiar to folks who are from a Christian tradition, like some of the classes I teach would be on centering prayer and be taught specifically from that uh, uh, Benedictine work of uh, Thomas Keating. You know? okay. um, or I might do a work on St. Francis, um, mm-hmm. uh, some different things like that. Um, there's another group that meets here on a monthly basis uh, that's a, a kind of church fellowship group that'll share communion together and those things um, who are yeah, they're guests of the hive and mm-hmm. use the space um, but there's also uh, a Sufi group that meets here mm. um, and uh, so there's a number of those things happening so so what I've described to um, PCUSA who in their giving to this grant is I think this reflects the kingdom of God mm. um, and I'll go back to what you were saying about Jesus. You had said something about Jesus' ego. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's a couple different ways to splice that, but it goes into this whole piece. Um, uh, I think it's Richard Rohr would say that um, a way of understanding the Enneagram, these nine different sure. types, is that, uh, is that they're all seen in Jesus the Christ, the human one. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus had nine egos, if you will, <laughs> yeah, because he was, sure. full, he was the full human. Fullest of humans, right? Right. Um, and on the other hand, that notion of uh, the Pauline um, description of Jesus in Philippians, that Jesus was one who emptied himself. Mm. And I think he actually was, um, he was an offense to all these different tribes who wanted them for himself, mm. for themselves, because he stood rooted in the ground of being. He stood rooted in the unfolding presence of God without that other ego. Mm. And that's an insult to people who need their ego reinforced. It's an insult yeah. to institutions, any institution. I mean, at some point, as the hive matures, it'll, it will have its own egoic structure that will be insulted by certain levels of humility and integrity and emptying. Mm. And, uh, um, and I think our church institutions are similar. Yeah. So I think the, uh, what, yeah. what Jesus was doing was, was um, Meister Eckhart describes the logos as, mm-hmm. the, as the blueprint uh, I think Bonaventure does this some as well, that in the beginning was the blueprint, and the blueprint was with God, and the blueprint was mm-hmm. God, and the, uh, the blueprint um, came and became flesh, and, and yet yeah, we didn't recognize him. Right? And so what, what is that blueprint? It's this nature that God unfolds and becomes um, the overflowing mm-hmm. of a cup, if you will. And yeah. this, this is the Christ mystery. Um, and so I think Jesus, in many ways, was uh, is... 
the uh, or Jesus the Christ. The Christ is present, mm-hmm. always unfolding. And so my my uh, you know my words to my Taoist friends and agnostics and others that are in this space is, uh, you know, I'm not looking to co-opt what you're doing. I'm looking to amplify it mm-hmm. because I think that is the unfolding of the of the divine, the infinite yeah. love, infinitely giving itself away in this concrete moment. Mm. Um, you being that person is important to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, in thus far, my colleagues in the PCUSA have have said, um, I want a piece of that action. That's that's oh, exciting. That's um, great. Well, good. That's what I was curious about. And I, I'm sorry for stating it wrong. I was trying to get fine, a handle no, on yeah, where it came that's from. Fine. Uh, but that's good. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, we're we're just about out of time. I, I, I'm really enjoying the conversation, and and I appreciate you taking time today. I'd love before we're done, um, if I, I want you to have the chance uh, to offer up any sort of websites, or if you'd like to talk about your book, Drawn In, or mm-hmm. your albums. I was listening to a little bit of your album on iTunes Music this morning. Where is uh, songs to pray, to pray by? Yeah. yeah, songs to pray by. So um, if if there's anything like that, feel free. Just take a moment before we end and, and just kind of let people know what you'd like them to know about what sure. you're doing. And, sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean. The music work I, I get to do some of, um, and I still really appreciate it. You can find any of that on iTunes or on Bandcamp, um, singer-songwriter material as well. Um, the book Drawn In is uh, is really on the intersection of design thinking and spiritual discernment. Um, and um, I've found it to be a really helpful framework when working with churches or non- uh, Christian nonprofits, even uh, like seminaries, mm-hmm. when they're thinking about um, some transitions um, my work as a consultant is to then kind of do this mashup between um, design thinking, which is its own discipline, um, and kind of apply that to organizational behavior and family systems theory, and then apply that to uh, to systems change. And so I, I work with congregations and seminaries and places to, to think through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd say the Hive is what I'm, like right now, where I spend a lion's share of my time and passion mm-hmm. and... Uh, we would love to have anybody in the region come for events like in the upcoming uh, calendar we'll have an event with uh, um, Theopoetics which is a a project out of uh, um, uh, University of Boston around the that's based in this longer tradition of the intersection between theology and and poesis and the the creative process Um, there will be uh, um, if you look on our website, there's a number of other events coming up. Um, and, uh, and we like taking the hive to places. So to teach contemplative practices in a, either a Christian setting like the tradition we share sure. or in a business setting where it's mindfulness, um, that's something that uh, I have a lot of passion about. And the hive is getting better at mm-hmm. taking that. We call it pop-up hive, taking, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> taking it to the road. is a way to help us subsidize this mission too. Okay. Well, great. And, and the website for the Hive? Uh, it, it's cincyhive.org, C-I-N-C-Y-H-I-V-E.org, Cincy Hive. And then um, my, uh, my stuff, my website is troybronsink.com, so T-R-O-Y-B-R-O-N-S-I-N-K. Okay, great. Well, you'll want to, if you're listening, I'm, I know you're going to want to go and check out those websites. That's some of the best way to learn about what the Hive is doing. Uh, thank you for welcoming me here today. Welcome, and it's, it's been a really great to have this conversation. And as I say to all my guests every week, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. <laughs> you bet. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.